welcome back to Pop Culture Footnotes, the podcast that keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture so you can talk about it with your friends. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon. And we are joined this week by our relative comic book expert, Andrew. <laughs> Yay! Hello. All right, so this week we are talking about uh, Marvel Phase 2 in our preparation for Infinity War coming out. Oh, man, it's like less it's than a so month soon. away. It's so close. Yeah, so close. And they moved up the date by like a week, so... Fortunately, we are planning on releasing all of our Marvel episodes before <laughs> it comes out, so you should I be heard good. That's because they is it Solo's coming out and Disney wants to dominate the box office as long as possible. I think, I think that's, that's part of it. I think there's that. There's also I think that they do want. I think they wanted like three solid weeks away from Deadpool because Deadpool two comes mm-hmm. out okay. the week before Han Solo, so I could see Deadpool eating into Avengers a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I mean. They're two completely different properties and everything, but I could see Once Disney wanting three, yeah, <laughs> and Disney wanting three full weeks uh, without another superhero property. Yeah, like yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is that um, they want to simultaneously release it internationally, so that way there aren't spoilers. Because I know so. that Australia, at least Australia, and maybe a couple other countries get it the week before the U.S. release. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, probably so that people can be on the internet. If they want to be. Yeah. Week. Yep. Hmm. Cool. Um, well, before we get into that, we are going to start out with our Media of the Week segment. So, Shannon, what are you listening to or reading or watching? Um, so, this weekend, because Isle of Dogs is not in Utah theaters yet, and I'm really <laughs> bitter about it, and could rant <laughs> for an hour, um, I went and saw Unsane, the new Steven Soderbergh movie, and I really liked it. I don't know if I want to say much more about it other than um, Claire Foy, who is the queen and the queen, um, who's really excellent, um, has, so in the past she had had a stalker and so she goes into a therapist to kind of like deal with her feelings from that. She had moved away and whatnot. Um, And after she meets with the therapist, she is voluntarily, but actually involuntarily committed to a psych ward. Hmm. And because they think she's crazy, because she's having these delusions about the stalker, and I won't say any more about it, mm-hmm. it um, got a lot more scary and violent than I thought it would. Aww. So it was really great, though. <laughs> so cool. That was fun. How about you, Andrew? Um, I'm pretty boring. I don't want to step on your toes because our media <laughs> wind up being the same. Mostly, yeah. Mostly. Uh, we've been watching, uh, <coughs> well, I've been watching, rewatching Futurama. I went back and have been binge watching that on, uh, Hulu, one of my, one of my favorite shows. It wasn't when it was on the air, which is why it got canceled, mm-hmm. um, because it was nobody's favorite show while it was on the air. Uh, <laughs> but it's quickly kind of gained a cult following and, um, yeah, I, I love it. I, I just recently wa- rewatched the episode where Richard Nixon's head was elected president of Earth, <laughs> um. And that was that one's pretty great. Yep. Um, for me, I am. So I just recently watched Eight Days a Week, which is yeah, Eight Days a Week. That's the uh, Beatles documentary. We are getting ready to do a Beatles episode in the next <laughs> couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 But yeah. I think it's next week finally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying it was. I think. Anyway. <laughs> it's coming up soon though. So I'm getting ready for that by watching eight days a week. So yeah. Did you like cool. it? I did, yeah. I really liked it, but I know that Carla, who 
um, and guesting on that episode because it doesn't get reported as much. Yeah, it, so. it definitely wasn't the most in-depth Beatles documentary I've ever watched, and I feel like it um, it kind of glossed over a lot of stuff. I mean, basically it's focusing on the tour, the touring years, um, so it's focusing on like what happened on their tours and not so much the rest of it. Um, I feel like it's a little bit of a, I don't know, rosy depiction of what was going on. Yeah. But, yeah. I do like how they have Whoopi Goldberg on mm-hmm. there and Sigourney Weaver. It's yeah. It's talking about like how much they loved the Beatles yeah. at the time. And, and Tom some, Petty, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, and oh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, overall it was good. I was watching it at work and trying to like actually do work while I was watching it. Um, and actually it was really good because I was just like sitting there like, you know, nodding along yeah. and, you know, trying not to sing out loud because I was at my desk, but, you know. Should have done it anyway. Yeah, you should. <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, let's seemed, get into it. like no one's paying attention, dance like everybody's dancing. What is it? I don't know. I don't know. Should have done it anyway. Um, I will say I'm, I'm right now, I know it's too late by the time this episode is released, but I am right now, as we speak, uh, doing the Kickstarter for Riff Tracks Live 2018 because they are going to be doing a riff on the upcoming Solo movie um, and Ready Player One and all this kind of stuff. So <coughs> that's another thing that I'm doing. I'm a big fan of Riff Tracks. So I am like not paying attention to you guys as I do this. So. I would already like to see a Riff Tracks of Solo without seeing the movie. So I went and saw Tomb Raider. Uh, and they had the Han Solo movie, and I think we discussed this, I can't remember when it was, but we, um, I saw the trailer for the Han Solo movie, and all I could think of was the, the <laughs> yeah. I'm Solo, I'm Han Solo, and how yeah. disappointed I was <laughs> that that wasn't the song in the trailer. Oh, you sent me down a really dark wormhole. Were you telling me that? Because then I looked up all the Star Wars Oh, no. Because <laughs> I was so amused. It's, it's <laughs> so bad. The, oh, what was the one? There's, oh, it's a parody of Genie in a Bottle, but it's like <laughs> Princess in a Battle. It's supposed to be Oh, it's so great and so bad. Yeah. Anyway. That sounds so great. <laughs> cool. Um, well, we are going to go ahead. Normally, we would do our first exposures section where we're, we talk about our first exposures to whatever we're talking about. But uh, since we kind of already did that for Marvel Phase 1, we're going to skip it this time around just get right into it. So I'm actually going to kick it off by uh, talking about Iron Man 3. Um, arguably one of, I don't know if it's the worst of the Iron Mans. Iron Man 2 probably takes that. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So um, Iron Man 3. This kicks off, um, it's New Year's Eve in 1999, and... Tony Stark um, runs into this guy who's kind of eccentric named Aldrich Killian, played by uh, Guy Pierce. Yes? Everybody's yes. favorite Guy Pierce. <laughs> yep. Um, and Aldrich Killian is trying to promote his company um, and share some ideas with Stark, and Stark is kind of blowing him off. Um, so he misleads Killian, makes him think that he's interested, and tells him to meet him on the roof, and then doesn't show up. Um, so yeah, then, uh, sometime later, it's after the Battle of New York in 
Avengers. That's part of phase one. Um, so Tony Stark, if you remember in Avengers, he went up into like the wormhole thing with a nuclear bomb and then fell back down. And so now he's got like PTSD um, or something. Um, so he's kind of, he's got insomnia and he's obsessively building more suits um, kind of to protect himself. And Pepper Potts, his girlfriend, is not a huge fan of this because um, she doesn't like how much he's putting himself in danger with the whole Iron Man thing. Um, so then uh, Pepper is visited by Killian, and um, I guess they... Who's hot now. Yeah, who's hot, at least hotter <laughs> now. <laughs> what do you mean hotter? He was a total nerd in the 90s. Oh, sure he was, but I mean, I, I don't know if Guy Although, Pierce is really that hot. <laughs> but, but he's got a suit, and his hair's all slicked back, and he's smooth, and he's like putting his arm around Pepper yeah. and stuff. He's being sure. Smooth. I will say, uh, my favorite part of this entire movie is the opening shot opens with I'm Blue by Eiffel 65. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Um, so we learned that Pepper and Killian, I guess, used to go out, but don't anymore. Um, he invites her to um, Advanced Idea Mechanics, which is his company, and she rejects him. Um, and then around this time, we there's these uh, terrorist attacks in the U.S. that are coming from this terrorist leader who calls himself the Mandarin, played by Ben Kingsley. Um, and he's, uh, yeah, basically he's like, responsible for a string of bombings, um, and he's not leaving behind a lot of evidence, so they're not really sure how to catch him. He's, he's basically like Osama bin Laden. Like, yeah. Because they kind of have, he has like these terrorist training grounds, he has these videos he puts out. He's <coughs> basically like a, a Marvel Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, Happy Hogan, uh, Tony Stark's bud, um, he gets suspicious of Killian and his bodyguard, who's named Eric Savin, and he kind of follows them to the Chinese theater in Hollywood, and he sees a guy named Jack Taggart um, basically spontaneously combust. He gets all, like, glowy and blows up. And so Happy has figured out that um, basically all of these bombings aren't bombs. They're people who are blowing up. Um, so Stark, um, sorry, so Stark kind of, in, uh, la, la, he threatens the Mandarin, um, and, um, so, yeah, so the Mandarin and Tony Stark are kind of calling each other out on TV, and Tony Stark says, like, here's my address, come see me, and sure enough, and proceeds to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> he, he does, goes he does nothing. Oh yeah. Cause, and like pepper is even there. And sure enough, the Mandarin sends some helicopters with big old missiles and blows up Tony's house. Um, and like to save pepper, he like makes one of the iron man suits come and like surround her. So she's wearing an iron man suit to protect her. Um, so he survives, but, um, Somehow he winds up stranded in, like, a rural town in Tennessee. And uh, he his suit is broken, so he doesn't have any way to really, like, get out. So he's trying to repair his suit. Um, yeah, he doesn't have enough power in his suit. So everyone thinks that Stark is dead, and the Mandarin starts, like, threatening um, the president and the U.S., basically, with more attacks. Um 
So Stark decides he's going to, because everybody thinks he's dead, he's going to use that to his advantage and he's going to do more investigating into the explosions. Um, and he, uh, let's see, he runs into this little boy in the small town who lets him use his shed to repair his Iron Man suit. Iron Lad. <laughs> yeah. To laugh, that's real. Iron Lad <laughs> is a real thing from the comics that everybody thought that this kid was going to turn into Iron Lad. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, and then Tony, he, uh, oh yeah, so the reason that he wound up in this town in Tennessee is because he was tracking down leads for this program called Extremis, and one of the leads happened to be in this small town, so he had set a flight path, and then... In Kentucky, I think. No, it's in Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, he, while he's there, he manages to get, like, a file on the Extremist program, and he realizes that, um... So basically what's happening is they're trying to create super soldiers and um, it has some negative side effects, namely that you spontaneously combust. Um, <laughs> seems like a pretty big, uh, pretty big flaw. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Stark um, is attacked by a couple of agents working for the Mandarin. Um, he sets fire to a building that explodes one of them um, and he crashes a water tower uh yeah um he's investigating more into the mandarin he realizes that all of the soldiers who have blown up were once members of advanced idea mechanics which you remember is killian's company so he's figuring out that killian is behind all of this oh in the meantime pepper and killian have kind of started working together she's trying to help him like work out the flaws in the extremist um program so that way people don't explode um so yeah but then killian kidnaps her and takes her um somewhere sorry (laughs) yeah um have we mentioned james rhodes at all no not really no tell us so um as we remember from iron man 2 uh rhodes has uh, an Iron Man suit that he's modified with a bunch of uh, weaponry, and now he's War Machine. Um, he's still doing that, but he's been rebranded as the Iron Patriot. He got a nice, cool paint job, Stars and Stripes, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so he's off doing kind of... Uh, he's doing a bunch of different missions uh, for the President and for the U.S. as Iron Patriot. So he's basically Tony Stark if he were a government stooge, mm-hmm. like in Civil War. Yep. <gasps> yep. Um, so Stark manages to track down where the Mandarin is, which is in Miami. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, he gets there. He's kind of using homemade weapons because his suit isn't fixed. Um, and he finds the Mandarin and figures out that the Mandarin is not actually the Mandarin. He's a, an actor named Trevor Slattery. And he realizes that the Mandarin is this creation of Guy Pierce's Killians, um, basically to kind of strike fear into people. Um, and so Killian is ultimately like the guy behind this. Um, so yeah, Killian has also been covering up the deaths of all of these soldiers that he's been experimenting on. Um, Stark realizes that Killian has kind of done this because he felt jilted by Stark in the 90s. It's a really stupid motivation for, you know, exploding people. (laughs) But that's not the only thing. That's not the only reason. I mean, he was working on, like, a super soldier program Mm -hmm. before then, but he's getting revenge on Tony Stark 
as well as exploding people. Right. I think it's, you know, it's a twofer. If Starbridge's yep. quit ticking everyone off, we wouldn't have <laughs> as is, many movies. He is the villain, the biggest villain of the Marvel Universe. Is yeah. Tony Stark. <laughs> yep. Um, so Killian then reveals that he has kidnapped Pepper and he has subjected her to the extremist treatment, so she's going to explode. Um, yeah. Uh, so... <coughs> He's also, like, using falsified intelligence to lure War Machine um, and capture him. Um, Stark manages to escape. Killian sends one of his dudes to attack the president of the U.S. aboard Air Force One. Um, Stark manages to get his suit and intervenes. Um, he saves the passengers, but Killian still abducts the president. Um, so they follow him to this, like, container terminal, um, he's and Killian is basically planning to kill the president on live TV, um, and then vice president the vice president will assume control and he's in Killian's pocket so he's going to be, um, and basically I guess the vice president his daughter is sick so he wants to use the extremist treatment to treat his daughter, um, so Killian is then saying he's going to you know be able to manipulate global events for his own profit, um, so Tony and uh, War Machine are able to get in there and they save Pepper and the president and um, Stark basically summons all of the different Iron Man suits that he's made to fight Killian um, and uh, they all end up exploding. Um, yeah. For now. For now. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's... <laughs> okay, we'll get there. Um, so Stark... Um, he's fighting Killian and he's basically like Killian is destroying each of his suits and then he pops out of one and jumps into another. Um, Stark is able to trap him in one of the Iron Man suits and then has it self-destruct. Um, so yeah. And then Killian, he's like all deformed and he manages to get out of the wreckage and he comes up to Tony and is like, I'm the real Mandarin, which is super stupid. Um, <laughs> and he's trying to kill Tony, but then Pepper winds up killing him instead. Um, and then, so Tony manages to find a cure for Pepper's extremist condition, and he tells Jarvis to destroy all the Iron Man suits because it's this major staking point in his relationship with Pepper. And um, so he's like, yeah, I'm all done. And he decides to undergo surgery to remove the pieces of shrapnel in his heart so that way he doesn't need the arc reactor. Um, yeah. And that's it. It's super dumb, though, because, like, <laughs> he destroys all of his suits and is like, I'm done being Iron Man for you, Pepper. And I'm like, clearly you are not done being Iron Man because we still have Phase 2 and Phase 3 in which you are Iron Man. So. He's also no longer with Pepper after this, though, right? I think they get back together later. Well, okay. they, yeah, they, well, they break up by the time Civil War comes around, but then they're back together in time for Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. So I, I, have, I have opinions, and we can save those for Phase, or phase 3 episodes <laughs> because I have got opinions. Yep. Great. <laughs> cool. Well, that takes us to Thor the Dark World. <laughs> Yay! Or Thor the I, Dark Thor. I, I will say about Iron Man 3, there were a lot of people who really hated the Mandarin twist because Ben Kingsley's character, Trevor Slattery, who's playing the Mandarin, mm -hmm. was awesome. And yeah. And like a really good updating of 
a kind of a sort of problematic villain for Tony Stark. I mean, he's Tony Stark's like arch enemy, arch enemy in the comics, mm-hmm. but he's a little problematic because he's, he's kind of very stereotypically Jap- or Chinese, and it's a little, a little weird sometimes. Mm-hmm. But they updated him really nicely, and then it turned out that it wasn't actually him. It was Guy Pierce who can breathe fire. And a lot of a lot of people were really mad about it. I, I was mad about it because I follow the comics and stuff like that. But if you haven't and you just kind of saw this, I don't. I think it's a decent reveal for people who haven't followed the comics and stuff. But I had and I was really mad. I was I was yep. very mad. But yeah, that's understandable. But that, like, the rest of my family was like, "Oh yeah, it was kind of neat. How that was a twist." And I was like, "No, if why you're wrong, it's because of this." But nobody cared. He was in that camp. <laughs> oh, that's kind of interesting. Yes, exactly. And but, but if you'd follow the comics, I would going, also be tipped. I'm like, the Mandarin has ten rings of power yeah. and he's able to do all kinds of things and <laughs> it's just Guy Pierce in a suit. <laughs> yep. Uh, Alright. Remind me what all the Thors are. I can't remember the so first So there's name. Thor. Thor the first Thor. Okay. Thor the dark Thor. Then Thor the good Thor. Thor the good Thor. Okay. <laughs> We're on Thor the dark Thor. Um, which... Most people, I think, would think of as also Thor the Bad Thor, but I really <laughs> like this movie. <laughs> Even though it's not good, I really enjoy it. Um, so, another note <laughs> I just put in. Um, so, for some reason, the Blu-ray player at my house is... Um, it tries to do everything in Spanish subtitles automatically. Oh, awesome. So if there's any text on the screen, it like translates it into Spanish, even though I didn't ask it to. <laughs> so the dark elves in this movie were speaking Spanish. <laughs> and I kept having to turn subtitles, English subtitles on to get it to work. It was pretty funny. Um, anyway, uh, the film starts uh, eons ago. You have Bor, the father of Odin, so Thor's father, um, is fighting Malekith. Um, a dark elf who's played by Christopher Eccleston. Um, the commonality between my two films today is that they have really good actors play the villain, um, but they're incredibly boring villains that do yeah. nothing and are just covered in makeup. Yep. Hmm. But yeah, anyway, um, so Malekith has this weapon called the Ether um, that he's trying to use to take over the Nine Realms. Um, Bor essentially like fights him and beats him and puts the ether in this stone column. Um, Malekith and a bunch of other dark elves like escape into suspended animation, which even watching the movie, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> but, anyway, so they're off. Like the point is, years ago they had this bad ether thing that could take over the all the planets, but it's been kind of housed in stone for all these years. Um, Then we cut to Asgard present day, so right after the Avengers movies. So Loki, because of his crimes on Earth, has been imprisoned. Um, Thor is off with his buds fighting on different planets to, like, get all of the Nine Realms to come together. Um, So they're in Vanaheim, which is, like, the last one that they have to battle with. (laughs) Um, They've put, reconstructed the Rainbow Bridge, uh... Which, there's a natural name for that, but I'm just calling it the Rainbow Bridge. So, things are coming together. Um, everyone's celebrating on Asgard because they've um, kind of brought the Nine Realms back together. Um, but Thor is sort of bummed because he's still missing Jane back on Earth and he loves her and whatnot. Um, 
So we also learn that the convergence is about to happen. So there's going to be an alignment of the nine realms. Um, and because of that, there are portals that kind of are appearing on all the nine realms at random that link these worlds together. Mm-hmm. So then we go to London uh, with Jane Foster, who's on a date with Chris O'Dowd. Um, I talked about Okay. He's completely yes. wasted. Completely <laughs> wasted. Chris O'Dowd is a treasure. And he just plays somebody and gets jerked around by Natalie Portman. It's not cool. Yep. <laughs> Um, so they're out to dinner. Um, she's still not over Thor. She hasn't really gone out since. And so she's trying to make an effort because Thor's been gone all this time. Um, and he showed up in New York and then still left her. And so, um, but Darcy, her intern shows up and she bails on him to go, um, search for these portals, basically. Um, there's some kind of interference on one of the machines. Um, so Jane, Darcy, and then Darcy, the intern's intern, Ian, all go to an abandoned factory where one of these portals have appeared, um, and some kids have found it, and there's, like, a car that's sort of levitating in one of the portals. They'll, like, throw stuff, like, uh, soda cans and things down it, and it'll just disappear and then reappear, and it falls, and so it's, like, a continually falling thing. Um... Anyway, so they're having fun, like, throwing stuff into the portals. They throw their keys into it, and some stuff comes back, and some stuff doesn't come back. So their keys to their car do not come back. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Jane, because she's reckless, is, like, <laughs> exploring around this place, and she's transported onto another world, world temporarily where she gets infected by the ether that we saw at the beginning. Um, so it's just this, like, black stuff that kind of goes into her body and infects her. Um, back on Asgard, Heimdall, uh, Idris Elba tells Thor, um, he can't see, he's been, like, keeping an eye on Jane, and he can't see her anymore because of the ether. um, and so Thor decides, like, I need to go find her and find out what's happening. Um, so he goes, Jane has, like, disappeared for hours on Earth time, so she comes back, and Darcy's like, where have you been, and all of this, um, and Thor shows up, and they reunite, and... Yeah. Um, the romance between them is just not believable it's all at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, one of the cops, um, there are some cops on the scene, and I think this is what happens, and one of them comes to touch Jane, and when they do the, like, because she's disappeared all this time and they want to take her in, when they touch her arm, the ether kind of comes out and she freaks out. And um, so this thing is, like, defending her, but really itself. Um, and so Thor wants to find out what's going on. They take, so he takes her back to Asgard. Um, find out, yeah, the ether <coughs> is bad news. It's going to end up killing Jane, um, but like it can be used to destroy planets if we don't do something about it. So uh, we also see that it awakens Malekith after all this time. Uh, he turns one of his friends, I can't remember his name, doesn't matter, um, into this cursed kind of being, so this like all-powerful... Elf dude. I believe his name is actually Curse with a K. Uh, yes. That's, that's the character Curse. there. Yeah, another name. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> the names in these just, yeah, I do not care yeah. <laughs> or remember them. But anyway, so this cursed guy um, then is going to go and attack Asgard so that he can get the ether. Um, in doing so, so he kind of sneaks in into, like, I, with a bunch of other prison people that they've taken prisoner. Um, and he starts letting, like, all of these, um, bad guys out of jail. 
Um, he passes Loki and decides not to let Loki out, so he's just, still just sitting there. Um, Thor's mother, again, I don't remember names. Frigga? Mm-hmm. Looking mm-hmm. at it. Rene Russo. Yeah. Um, is protecting Jane because everyone knows that they want the ether, and so in trying to protect her, um, she ends up getting killed. Um, which everyone's really sad about, Thor's sad about it, and they go and tell Loki, and he like destroys a bunch of stuff in his cell. Um, Odin then tells Thor not to leave Asgard in to uh, go after Malekith, but he decides to leave Asgard <laughs> to go figure out what's going on with Malekith. And so um, he enlists Loki, who wants revenge now that he was like really close to their mom, so he wants revenge on this dude. And so, and he also happens to know, like, the portal into, I can't say the world <laughs> that he's on, but the world that Malik is currently on, so he's going to help him get there. Um, they, so they both arrive, want to kill Malekith, um, but they, I don't know, they kind of trick him, so... Um, Loki pretends like he's betraying Thor, um, but they really just do it to get Malchus to pry the ether out of Natalie Portman. And so they do that, and Thor tries to destroy it with his hammer, but it doesn't work. Um, what else happens? And then the cursed guy, also, they try to kill him, but then I think he's got something like, um... Poking at him. I don't know. They've impaled him. <laughs> I didn't say <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but then um, he grabs Loki then and also impales Loki, so he dies. Um, so, and Thor tells him. For now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> um, so Loki's dead. Uh, Thor, as he's dying, tells him, I'll let our father know what you've done so that he's proud of you and whatnot. Um, so Thor and Jane are trying to figure out how to get off this planet now. Um, they discover another portal because um, they're kind of wandering around in this cave thing and her phone goes off and it's Chris O'Dowd calling for mercy. <laughs> and so um, they use the portal to get back um, to Darcy and Dr. Selvig and all their other pals on Earth. Um, they Yeah. <laughs> figure out that um, Malika's whole plan here is that he's going to try to restore the Dark Elves and bring them all back by unleashing the ether at the center of the Convergence in Greenwich. Um, so they go to Greenwich. I did not explain this part a lot because battles don't interest me. They, they battle it up. <laughs> so. they, they punch for a bit. Yeah, so Thor's there, Malik is there. Um, it is actually kind of cool that they're going like in and out of worlds, like because they have all the portals in this spot. Um, in the meantime, like Doctor Selvig and Jane are figuring out, like with their instruments, they can kind of make the portals appear and not. So they they're figuring that out. Um, at one point. Thor kind of gets trapped, and so Malekith is the only one there on Earth and is, ah, going to destroy everything. But um, Thor comes back in time to help uh, Jane and all of them, use the equipment to send him back to his home planet, I cannot pronounce. Um, and he's crushed by his ship, and he's dead. So, yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> Very anticlimactic <laughs> for all of that. Um, so Thor, then, having saved Earth once more, goes back to Asgard to tell Odin that, um, like, I know you want me to be king of Asgard, and that's great and all, but I'm going to turn it down, and I really just 
want to protect the nine realms and watch out for everyone. Um, and he's still in love with Jane. So he tells him that. And then we see that Loki is actually, or Odin is actually Loki. So uh, he lived uh, and it was all a trick. Um, because no one in the Marvel universe ever dies if they're not bad. Well, Loki's bad anyway. Uh, Loki's the villains bad. die and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes not even then. Yep. Um, yep. So apparently there, when... Uh, in the beginning of Thor the Dark Thor, when they are, there's that montage of Thor kind of helping out in the Nine Realms. There's a huge rock monster <coughs> that oh, comes yeah. rocking up. Apparently that was originally Korg, um, who, as oh. we all know, was in Thor Ragnarok, played by Taika Waititi. Um, <laughs> and he, so yeah. that, was, that was Korg, but it is no longer Korg. So there are theories on Reddit that that was Korg's dad. And that's why his mom has a new boyfriend, and which is how Thor gets thrown into jail, is because Thor oh. killed his dad. Oh. I didn't realize it was know, so sad, right? I love that guy. <laughs> oh. Yep. That's cool. Um, quickly, after credit sequences, because they actually applied to Infinity War. Oh, yeah. um, first, there's this theme, scene of Jane, once again, wistfully waiting for Thor on Earth, and he comes back, and they're together. Oh. Um, but... Two of Thor's buds go to visit the collector um, because they, they to give they've collected the ether and they want to give it to him because they have the tesseract on uh, Asgard already and they want the ether far away because having two infinity infinity stones together isn't a good idea mm-hmm. and the collector says he wants to collect them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a Pokemon trainer yep. of infinity stones. <laughs> yep. yep. Cool. Well, that Next takes round. Us, yeah. yeah, that takes us to Winter Soldier. Winter, Winter Soldier, Soldier is my favorite Marvel movie. <laughs> I absolutely love this movie. So we Marvel's been kind of doing up to this point, uh, kind of genre films with a superhero label over the top of them. Uh, they've kind of been doing that almost the entire time. Uh, it kind of started with Thor. the The first Thor was a Shakespearean drama. Uh, Captain America: The First Avenger was a World War Two kind of uh, war epic and then Iron Man 3 was like a buddy cop slash technological thriller mm-hmm. not buddy cop but like a buddy <laughs> but like a buddy co- action yeah. comedy uh, directed by Shane Black who did Lethal Weapon uh, and the Nice Guys and all that kind of stuff and then Thor the Dark Thor was like Lord of the Rings almost like it has an opening yeah. sequence very much like Lord of the Rings and all this kind of stuff so it was trying to be like this kind of high fantasy thing Winter Soldier is a political thriller slash conspiracy film um, with you know, that stars superheroes, uh, so we we get Steve Rogers is working for Shield uh, under Nick Fury, and uh, the first scene is is Captain America, or there, you see a guy jogging around the the mall or the around Washington D.C., and you see Captain America just blow by him and go and say on your left, and he just blows past him. He does that a couple times, and this this guy that's uh, jogging is Sam Wilson, who is a veteran of Iraq, served two tours, and uh, he and he and Steve strike up a quick friendship, and uh, he he uh, they kind of bond over their experiences of coming back from war. I mean, Steve came back from World War Two, so it's a little bit different, but they kind of bond over over that. And then uh, Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, comes and picks him up for a mission. There is a shield, uh, a shield carrier that has gone 
that has been captured by some terrorists led by Batrock the Leaper, um, who is a real comic book villain. Um, he's not called Batrock the Leaper in the movie, but I refuse to call him anything else because how many times do you get to say Batrock the Leaper in your life? Uh, but there, it's this shield uh, ship that has been taken over by these terrorists. And so uh, Steve and Black Widow and then the uh, team called Strike, who's, which is led by Brock... Rumlow, um, who goes by Crossbones later, uh, they land on the ship to take it to take it back from these terrorists. They punch for a bit. Um, I will say this movie has some of the best choreographed fight sequences in the entire MCU. I think um, I like Civil War better. But. Yeah, Civil War has more superheroes doing it, but like this is like hand to hand. Like Steve's kicking guys off of the boat and yeah. like. A lot of, especially with him and the Winter Soldier, <coughs> the hand-to-hand combat stuff's really cool. Yeah. Um, really, really tightly choreographed. Um, so they they rescue the ship. Uh, Captain America is uh, commanding the team. The whole time, Black Widow's asking him about who he wants to date, and he's like, "Hey, mission first. Let's focus up here." <laughs> and then it turns out that Black Widow actually had a secret uh, objective to recover some Shield data. That was on uh, that was on the ship uh, that Captain America didn't know about, and so when they get back to dry land, Steve goes and visits Nick Fury, and he's really mad. He's like, "Hey, I can't do my job if I don't know everybody underneath me's got the same job." So Nick Fury goes, "Okay, well, this will help you trust me a little bit more," and he shows him the new project that Shield's working on called Project Insight, and it's three huge helicarriers similar to the one from the first Avengers movie. Uh, but they have propulsor tech based on Tony Stark's Iron Man suit instead of the big propellers that Tony Stark got chewed up in. Uh, And this project is meant to be able to um, find global threats and take care of them from from these helicarriers. Um, Be able to, he said, read a terrorist DNA before he even steps out of his spider hole. And so Captain America's like, that's not liberty, that's holding everybody. That's holding a gun to everybody's head and calling it freedom. And so Steve has a real problem with this, because it's not actual freedom, it's preventative war, and he's, he's not happy about that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so uh, Nick Fury, uh, is, he's running some numbers on this Project Insight, and he sees something that he doesn't really like, so he goes up to uh, Alexander Pierce, who is the who is on the World Security Council, who's played by Robert Redford, and he asks for a delay in the project um, in order to check out what's going on because uh, he's unable to decrypt the data that uh, Black Widow got for him. Um, uh, Joe, while this is happening, uh, Captain America goes and visits the VA where his new friend Sam Wilson works. Uh, because Peggy Carter from Captain America for the First Avenger is there, and she is she has Alzheimer's. She's really old and everything, and so she goes. He goes to visit her and kind of talk to her. And in the middle of their conversation, she has a coughing fit, and then when she recovers, she is like, "Oh, Steve, you survived! I can't believe it!" And so every time he sees her, it's like a a new thing all over again. He's mm-hmm. uh, so Steve has to deal with that. He's visiting the museum that is like dedicated to Captain America and he's pining over Bucky and all of his friends that are dead and all this kind of stuff and so he's kind of he's dealing with a lot of this man out of time stuff 
and then he doesn't have any any real good friends. Um, so then we get uh, Nick Fury. He's on the road. He's going to go visit Maria Hill, um, played by Colby Smulders. And as he does so, he's ambushed by fake cops. I almost said hot cops, but they're not. They're just not the hot cops. <laughs> they're not um, hot cops. They're just not the hot cops. Uh, but they ambush him on the road um, to try to take him out, and he manages to escape these cops who are uh, fake hot cops, and uh, they uh, they chase him around, and he gets away and runs into this mysterious shadowy assassin man called the Winter Soldier who. Blows up his car, and Nick Fury's only able to escape by, I think, is a mini lightsaber that he's <laughs> able to cut a hole in the ground and escape out of. Um, and he, Fury makes his way to uh, Steve's apartment. Uh, Steve passes by a nurse who lives next door to him, who Black Widow's like, hey, you should date her. And he's like, oh, maybe, maybe I will. And he kind of flirts with her a little bit, and she turns him down. And so then he goes into his apartment, and Nick Fury's sitting there. And it turns out, so Nick Fury is—he's like, "Oh, my wife left me," but he's typing on a little on his phone or whatever that Shield's been compromised. And so he hands—he uh, hands Steve the flash drive that Black Widow had taken from the ship at the beginning, and gives that to him. And then Nick Fury is shot and killed, ostensibly, for now. Um, <laughs> And it's the Winter Soldier who shot him. So Steve chases him out. The nurse comes into to the room. Turns out she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that was positioned there by Nick Fury to keep an eye on him. Uh, and Steve's place has been bugged by Nick Fury to make sure that everything's on the level. And so Steve chases the Winter Soldier. He catches his S.H.I.E.L.D. And instead of stealing his S.H.I.E.L.D. and running away with it, <laughs> the Winter Soldier throws it back at him. Uh, and then manages to escape into the night. Fury is pronounced dead, and everybody's real sad. Uh, Steve hides the flash drive in a, uh, a, vending, in a machine. vending machine, which seemed <laughs> real dumb. Uh, but after Nick Fury's killed, Alexander Pierce, Robert Redford, calls Steve up. <coughs> and he says, you know, what was he doing in your apartment? Why is he there? Don't lie to me. And he's kind of... He's trying to play nice with Captain America, but he's also semi-threatening him. And as... Uh, as Captain America goes to leave, um, he gets on an elevator, and one by one, the members of Strike get on the elevator with him, and then they stop the elevator and try to beat him up in what is, like, the coolest scene, I think. Like, uh, they try to beat up Captain America, and he beats up, like, ten guys in an elevator um, all by himself, and then he jumps out the elevator to escape the rest of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who are chasing him, and he escapes on a motorcycle and is now on the run. He goes back to the hospital to try to recover that flash drive, and Black Widow's there, and she's already gotten it. And so the two of them run away together to try to find out who killed Fury and figure out <clears throat> figure out who they can trust. Um, so they go, and they find that the location uh, of, um, of one of the secret bases is in New Jersey. It's actually the base where... Steve was first trained when he was a skinny, uh, asthmatic fungus. Mm-hmm. I, just, I, just, I don't know. Uh, but they go there and they discover a secret base that was the beginning of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, it's a, kind of like the first S.H.I.E.L.D. base and they find that there's a secret base underneath that one. They find all these computer su- servers and it's Arnim Zola 
is still alive. He's the he's on the flash drive and he's on in all the computers. And Zola um, was the scientist who worked for Red Skull in the first. Toby Captain Jones from Captain America: The First Avenger, who yeah was the scientist under Red Skull, um, and now he's alive. His brain is in the computers. Um, in the comics, Arnim Zola is actually a man whose face is a television screen inside the stomach of a giant robot, which mm-hmm. I really wanted to see, but we <laughs> didn't get that. It's okay. I'll, I'll live. Um, but Zola reveals that Hydra has been alive the entire time within S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, when World War II was over, the U.S. and S.H.I.E.L.D. both recruited former Nazi scientists to help them... Uh, to help with scientific advancements. That's actually based on a real-life event, um, Operation Paperclip. The U.S. government mm-hmm. recruited a ton of former Nazi scientists uh, to help them. That's how we got the NASA space program with... Um, Warner von Braun. Warner von Braun. He was a former Nazi scientist who helped with the uh, getting uh, Americans <laughs> into space. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, uh, it's all these, well, fake... It's Hydra now, so... They, record, they recruited a bunch of former Hydra agents. We actually get a lot of fleshing out of this in the TV show Agent Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of explores this time period a little bit more. Um, but we get that Hydra, uh, Hydra planned Tony Stark's parents' death. Um, turns out that that was Hydra's doing. Hydra's been behind, um, is the one that's controlling the Winter Soldier. And they're behind a ton of world events. And their plan is to kind of destroy the chaos of the current world and rebuild in Hydra's image. So they're going to be using Project Insights and an algorithm that Zola uh, came up with to determine who's going to be a threat to Hydra, and they will eliminate those people before they have a chance to become a problem for for uh, Hydra. So there's a missile... Uh, there, a missile is launched at the compound which blows up Zola but doesn't blow up Captain America or Black Widow because shield mm-hmm. and I mean like a literal shield he puts his shield up and now he's missile proof I guess mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know um, and they he and uh, Black Widow make their way back to DC and they meet up with Sam Wilson uh, his friend from the VA and from the beginning and they say hey we need a place to hide out and uh, they they just they decide that they need to go get Jasper Sitwell, who was an, a Shield agent, who was on the on board the ship at the beginning, uh, with all when the hot, when the terrorists took over, um, and he's been a Shield agent that's actually popped up a couple times in the MCU so far, um, but uh, they decide to go get him and Falcon, or uh, sorry Sam Wilson decides that he want he, he's like I'm gonna help you, and he shows them his combat records where he was a paraglider but it's with big falcon wings and jet packs so he's able to fly i don't know why human beings can fly now (laughs) and that's not a bigger (laughs) deal like i don't know why like somebody hasn't knocked that off and just given human beings the power of flight because it doesn't seem like he has to like hang glide around it seems like he can just fly i don't know (laughs) anyway uh so he goes by the name falcon so he decides that he wants to help they capture um, Agent Sitwell, and they find out that this algorithm is going to be used to take out people. So some of the people that he mentions are Stephen Strange and Tony Stark, who would be targeted by this Project Insight. Um, as they're driving with Jasper Sitwell, 
um, the Winter Soldier pops up and ambushes them on the freeway and starts to try to take them out. Um, they punch for a bit. There's a, bun- there's a bunch of shooting and fighting on a freeway, and it's revealed that the Winter Soldier is actually Bucky. Gasp! Big reveal. Oh Even though you call your movie the Winter Soldier, and the character of the Winter Soldier literally is Bucky from all the cartoon or from all the comics <laughs> and stuff. Like uh, before, bef- they they announced it like after the Avengers. They're like Captain America Two is going to be called the Winter Soldier. I was like, oh, Bucky's still alive then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, and they they kind of spend like the first half of the movie being like, who's the Winter Soldier? <laughs> but it's revealed it's that it's Bucky. Bucky but he's so then uh, Cap sees him and he goes, Bucky. And Bucky says, who's Bucky? Because Bucky's a dumb name. Um, But Captain America and Black Widow and Falcon are all arrested. And they're taken away uh, to go be shot under a bridge somewhere. But turns out Maria Hill is one of the agents and helps them escape. um, For reasons unknown. They find Nick Fury, who's not dead. Surprise. Who did not die. Yes, Bucky's not dead. Fury's not dead. <laughs> Maria Hill's not dead. Nobody's dead. Um, so they find Nick Fury, uh, and they decide that they're going to take down S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra. They're, they're just going to take it all down. But what they're going to do is replace targeting the targeting chips on the three helicarriers that will make the helicarriers shoot themselves instead of shooting all the people that it's going to be targeting with the algorithm. Um, so they have their big uh, their big heist plan type thing uh, where Black Widow disguises herself as a member of the Security Council and goes to decrypt all of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra's files and dumps them on the internet for everybody to see. Um, and Falcon and Captain America are replacing the uh, guidance chips. And during the fight... Captain America and Bucky punch for a bit and they manage to save the day. Who knew? <laughs> uh, they they switch all the chips. The, the helicarriers are destroyed. Um, and then Bucky and Captain America are still fighting. And Cap says, I'm not going to fight you. You're my friend. And Bucky just starts beating the crap out of him. But he's like, oh no, he's my friend. And he kind of starts to remember things and he starts to recognize that he's been brainwashed by this point by Hydra and completely forgotten everything about his old life, but he's starting to kind of remember it. Uh, the huge helicarriers go down into the Potomac. Steve falls into the Potomac, but is pulled out by Bucky. And then mm-hmm. Bucky just leaves him there and runs away. Um, mm-hmm. And so, S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra are all crashing down. Nick Fury's killed Robert Redford. Um, so, S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra are basically disbanded. Um, Black Widow's in trouble with uh, the law... They're like, you, you you, put a bunch of stuff on the internet. That's bad. She's like, but you're not going to arrest us. Because you... I think it's really funny because it, her speech kind of reminds me of the speech that Jack Nicholson gives at the end of A Few Good Men. Mm. But their roles are reversed. <laughs> she's like, you're not going to arrest us because you need us. But that's pretty much exactly what Jack Nicholson says. He's like, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. And, and it's like, <laughs> I, I recently rewatched and I went, huh. He's a good guy, but in Few Good Men, he's the bad guy. Um, anyway, uh, they so they uh, let's see here. She's she's not in trouble. She walks out because they do need her. She's right. And then uh, Nick Fury, everybody still thinks he's dead, and so he decides to kind of go and do some good on his own, 
which we don't actually ever see. He's just just kind of <laughs> wanders <laughs> off. Um, we don't actually know what he's doing. Yep. Um, and then uh, uh, Falcon and Captain <coughs> America decide to go try to track down Bucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and try to find him and try to reclaim him, I guess. Um, and so the, some of the after credit scenes. Um, see the the mid credit scene. There's Baron Baron von Strucker, who's a Hydra bigwig, and uh, turns out they've been doing some human experimentation. And there's uh, he talks about the twins, and we see a shot of them. One of them is running around real fast, and the other one is playing with blocks in the air with her mind. Um, and oh yeah, and Bucky visits uh, his own memorial, and he's like, oh, "Bucky, what a stupid name." <laughs> I assume, I assume that's what you think, because that's what I would have thought. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's... remember all of that when Civil War comes. <laughs> I know it's that, one of the reasons I like it so much. I mean, it's got a lot of great action and this kind of stuff, and I I do kind of like a political thriller, like a kind of conspiracy on the run type of thing. I like those kind of films. Um, but yeah, it does set up quite a bit for the future of the MCU. It completely destroys S.H.I.E.L.D. So like, S.H.I.E.L.D. had kind of been this present force throughout Phase 1 and up until now Phase 2. Like, Phase 1, that's how we met Thor. They were, like, the beginning of that was in Captain America. Iron Man, in Iron Man 2, it's all about S.H.I.E.L.D. this and S.H.I.E.L.D. that and all this kind of stuff. So then it's like, oh yeah, no more S.H.I.E.L.D. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. They're bad. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yep. Cool. That takes us to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yay! Uh, 2014 was a really good year because this is my favorite Marvel movie. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, so, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, we start in on Earth in 1988. Um, I pretty much cry immediately. Oh, it's movie. so sad. <laughs> it is so sad. So, we have little, little Peter Quill who's listening to a mixtape that his mom gave him, and his mom is dying of cancer. <coughs> Um, and she dies immediately to the movie, making me very sad. Um, and pretty much what happens is Peter runs out of the hospital all distraught, and he is abducted from Earth by this group called the Ravagers. They're basically space pirates. Um, they're led by Yondu, um, blue guy who whistles and has this little arrow that shoots people. Um, so we cut now to 26 years later, where... Peter Quill is grown. Um, he's on the planet Morag, um, dancing to Come and Get Your Love. This movie has the best soundtrack awesome. of yeah. all the Marvel movies. So um, it's awesome. Uh, he's there to steal an orb for Yondu, and we don't really know yet what that's about. Um, but he's attacked by Koroth, who's this guy who's um, works under Ronin. Um I'll explain more on that later. (laughs) They're trying to steal the orb from him already. Um, He escapes and gets away, but I think kind of realizes, like, oh, this is a valuable thing, and I should just have this for myself. Um, And so he kind of gives a good old screw to Yondu. Um, The Ravagers basically, like, had kidnapped him and threatened to eat him unless they helped him all this time, so he doesn't have the best relationship with them. Um... So Peter um, decides to, well, he's going to go and try to sell off this orb. Um, then we go to Ronan, who, he's a Cree fanatic, so there's these weird scenes of him, like, he, he's blue, and they yeah. throw dust on him, and he has this masky thing, I don't know. The he's, Cree are kind of like the uh, Klingons of the Marvel Galaxy, okay. I would say. Right? Because um, they're kind of warlike and... 
about sort of so yeah i mean ronan's a kree fanatic so he's more about like the purity of blood and all that kind of stuff the the mainstream kree are a little bit more like i don't know just regular just regular guys um the the kree are actually who started the inhumans which is in agents of shield i mean plot point in agents of shield is that they experimented on humans and give regular humans superpowers if they're descendants of kree of the Kree, so they are kind of an alien, and probably the Kree are going to be main, the main force in Captain Marvel. Um, oh, because she yes. gets she get, um, Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers receives her powers through Kree experimentation. Huh. Um, so it's entirely possible they're going to come back. I know that the Skrulls for sure are in there. The Skrulls are shapeshifters, but there's been huge wars between the Kree and the Skull and the Skrull going back thousands of years in the Marvel comics so the Kree are one side the scrolls are another mm-hmm. and we're definitely getting the, the scrolls in Captain Marvel we'll probably get the Kree as well yep hmm. it all ties together yep. <laughs> every one of them yeah. um so Ronan is working for Thanos um I big is he a god or he's what a tit- is he he's a titan. Okay. Uh, he's, he's called Thanos the Mad Titan and he's just a big super powerful being I don't actually because He's different from like the collector and the grandmaster, but and he's not, but he's not a celestial. He's just a super powerful being. I don't because no. yeah, he's not a god per se. But I mean, even the Asgardians aren't technically gods. They're just yeah. really strong aliens. I think that's what I think that's what Thanos yeah. is. So we'll we'll, fi- we'll find out though, in very shortly. Yeah. Well, perfect. Um, so we see Thanos. Let's see. Um, so. He's trying to get the orb for Thanos, um, and he's got his two uh, Thanos's adopted daughters there. So we have Gamora and Nebula. Um, Gamora is an assassin, and even though Nebula is kind of like, I want to, she wants to prove her lo- loyalty to Thanos and wants to go after the orb, but it's decided that Gamora will do it because everyone loves her more. <laughs> um, so Quill has gone to Xandar, which is the capital of the Nova Empire. Um, and he's trying to sell off this orb um, and kind of gets kicked out by the seller because Thanos or Yondu isn't there. Um, anyway, then Gamora, um, who's been sent to retrieve the orb, ambushes him. And then, just to make it all more messy, you also have Rocket, who is um, a genetically modified raccoon, and Groot, my favorite, um, who's this tree-like humanoid character who only ever says, I am Groot. Um, The two of them are bounty hunters, and Yondu, um, I didn't mention because Peter left him, is has a bounty on Peter Quill's head. Um, and so the two of them are also after Quill. Um, so all of them are trying to get him, and basically the Nova Corps just ends up arresting them all. Um, they take them to kill him, this, like, moon prison place. Um, and so Gamora, because of her connection with Ronan, like, a lot of the inmates there really don't like her, and... Um, but one of them in particular, Drax, um, Ronan killed his whole family, so he's really after Gamora and is trying to kill her um, to get vengeance. Um, Drax is really funny because he takes everything literally. Um, that comes up a lot. There's something about someone says, oh, that went over his head. Nothing gets over my head. I'm too strong or whatever. So um, he's really good comic relief throughout this. Um, so Drax is trying to kill 
Gamora, but um, Quill kind of says, well, can't she just lead you to Ronan so you can, that she's not the one you're mad at, like you just want to kill Ronan, she can lead you to Ronan. And then Gamora reveals that she's actually betrayed Ronan and she just wanted to get the orb so she can get it away from him and knows that he's going to use it to destroy everything. Um, so Gamora has a buyer for the orb, so um, they all kind of band together and get off of Prison Planet. Um, yeah, lots of Rocket kind of orchestrates that, and they escape on Quill's ship. Uh, then they go to nowhere um, to meet the Collector, who's the buyer for the orb. Um, yeah, at that point, um, he's kind of a weirdo, <laughs> and... Benicio Del Toro gets to yeah. wear it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine that that's what Benicio Del Toro, like, wears just, like, around his house. <laughs> And then when, he goes, when, he does, when he does commercials or goes to award shows, they're like, no, Benicio, you have to turn it down a little <laughs> bit. to look normal. <laughs> um, so they go to give the orb to him, and it's revealed, like, once you open this orb, there's an infinity stone inside. Um, so they're kind of talking about the infinity stones and whatnot. Um, and the collector has this assistant that's well, this really troubled pink woman. Um, and she is like, oh, I'll get out from under this guy's power and whatnot. So she thinks she's going to grab the stone. And she does, but it just kills her and it makes the thing explode because of all the power within the stone. So um, now they're all kind of freaked out now that they can see actually what the infinity stone can do. Um, so Gamora is saying, we just need to take that to Novacore, get it away from Ronan, make sure no one touches it. Um, Quill doesn't, he wants the money, but is sort of like, okay, maybe I guess that's what we should do. Um, as all of this is happening, Drax thought it would be a good idea to summon Ronan to this planet so that he could attack him for killing his family. Um, so Ronan shows up with all of his people, um, and he pretty easily, like, takes out Drax, um, who doesn't die later, Groot and Rocket come and get him out. But, um, yeah, that's no good. Now uh, Ronan's there. Um, and so, and Nebula is also there. And so the two of them um, kind of, they try to get away with the stone. Um, but Nebula first destroys Gamora's ship and leaves her floating in space. Um, and so Quill is like, oh, we need to get away, but I don't want any this to happen to Gamora, so he, like, leaves the ship, puts his space mask thing on Gamora so she doesn't just die floating out in space. Um, and he, before he does that, contacts Yondu so that Yondu will come and capture the two of them and get them to safety. Um, in the midst of all of that, those shenanigans, Ronan gets the, the Infinity Stone, or the orb. Um, yeah, so we have... Uh, Quill and Gamora with Yondu and the Ravagers, they, Quill's saying, like, let's just have a truce. I can get the orb back from Ronan and then you can have it and that'll be the end of it. And so they sort of agree to help. Um, Drax, Groot, and Rocket all join them. First, they're going to try to take out the Ravengers, but then decide, like, okay, we've got a truce. And so they're all together and there's this stirring speech about, like, We'll probably die trying to do it, but we really need to get the stone from Ronan because he's going to destroy all the planets. So we should do that. Um, so they decide to do that, even though none of them are very like good people or they're not your typical heroes, but they're going to go and get the Infinity Stone back. Um, 
Ronan has put the Infinity Stone in his Warhammer um, and then tells Thanos, like, I'm going to go and destroy Xandar, the planet we were on earlier, but um, then I can, now that I have this thing, I can just kill you and have all the power for myself. So um, that's what he decides to do, and Nebula um, decides to uh, side with Ronan because she's actually always hated Thanos for doing experiments on her and for favoring Gamora all the time. Um, so, yes, we have the whole crew trying to get onto Ronin's ship. Um, they get onto the <laughs> ship, but they, um, I don't know. In short, there's, like, more battle things there. Again, I hate, like, <laughs> describing action. But essentially, like, the ship crash lands onto Xandar. Um, and they're worried about, like, everyone dying as the ship crashes. And so Groot, um, kind of forms like this branchy shield around all of them to protect them <laughs> yeah <laughs> as the ship crashes and says we are grouped um Aww. and rocket's really sad because they're buds and so that part also makes me cry a lot um so now they're on Xandar, um and let's see they're trying to get the stone back um Essentially, Quill kind of, like, distracts Ronan so that they can, Drax and Rocket can get the Warhammer, um, or destroy that part so the stone um, is free from the Warhammer. But now, I think it's first Quill grabs it, but it's so strong that, like, none of them can handle it alone. So they all kind of grab onto the stone, share its burden, and use it to then destroy Ronan. So Ronan's gone. Yay! Yay! Um, Thanks, Lee Pace, Pace, for doing absolutely nothing. (laughs) I forgot to say, I love Lee Pace. He's the other one who plays a totally boring villain. He he plays these bit parts in so many things, but I'm a long-time Pushing Daisies fan, so I just want him to succeed. He plays the big reindeer-riding elf in the Hobbit movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that I remembered that. I remember very little from the Hobbit movies. <laughs> I do remember. A, that's about all I remember. Other than a lot of, or, other than a lot of boredom, that's what I remember mostly from the Hobbit movies. Yep. Um, so to wrap this up, um, Quill's promised Yondu the orb, and he gives it to him, but he's actually Yondu collects these little tchotchkes, and so he's put a troll inside of it, um, and. So he kind of, like, gives up on getting the stone, basically. They give the real Infinity Stone to the Nova Corps to protect. Um, Yondu also reveals that when they kidnapped Quill, they were actually supposed to deliver him to his father, um, who's, like, an alien thing. We'll learn more about that in Volume Mm -hmm. 2. But, um, so first we hear about his dad. Um, What else? The Nova Corps, they decide like everyone's kind of scrubbed of their all their crimes are no longer a problem because they're they saved the galaxy um and they become guardians of the galaxy and are gonna go and kind of fight things uh what else quill so the reason he could hold the stone so he's only half human um what else Oh, and the, with the songs. So his mom, like, gave him this last present when she was dying, and he hasn't opened it all this time, and then he realizes that it's um, another cassette tape. So now he has more great 80s jams to um, soundtrack the next movie. Yep. Like I think Barracuda. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> huh, that is so a good song. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's great. I, I used to great effect in Volume 2. Yep. Cool. Well, that takes us to Avengers Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. So the wrap-up for this one is it's Avengers 1, but worse. 
And I, I think, hate and I think this we're done. one. <laughs> <laughs> Except for what's his name? Um, guy that voices Ultron. Oh, James Spader. Yes, James Spader was good. Um, so yeah, I mean, this one—it's just it lacks the it lacks the charm of the first Avengers movie, I think. Um, but that was because at this point, Marvel was still trying to figure out how to let its directors have like make the movie they want but still tell the overarching story that they wanted to i think i think they're getting better because like we saw with um ryan coogler and the black panther movie and taika watiti and thor ragnarok is you can still let directors have their voice and tell their stories but um still be able to kind of include it in a wider universe and so Joss Whedon kind of had all these restrictions and guidelines and all this kind of stuff. So he wasn't able to kind of tell the story that he wanted to, um, according to him. So it's kind of this, it's a less fun, more, comp- like, there's a bunch of stuff that happens in Age of Ultron. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just not quite as, it's not quite as much of a romp. Um, but it, it has starts. Some spots. What's that? It, has some it definitely spots. has its bright spots. It has some. It's and that's the thing is it's not a terrible movie. It's nowhere. It's it's better than Iron Man three. It's better than Thor: The Dark Thor. It's better than Incredible mm. Hulk and Iron Man two. <laughs> like I think it's better than all of those. <laughs> um, just because there are some cool scenes in it. There's some cool stuff that happens. Um, but it starts off. Uh, the Avengers are fighting to fight. <laughs> Uh, Loki's scepter from Hydra in the collapse of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Loki's scepter was seized by some Hydra agents uh, and so they have that and it's an infinity stone that's inside Loki's scepter they don't know that yet but we'll find that out soon enough um, and they've been use- Hydra has been using Loki's scepter to uh, test or to they've been using it for illegal human experimentation um, and so they're attacking this Hydra base where we see Baron Von Strucker and he unleashes the twins that we saw at the end of Captain America Winter Soldier, uh, who are Wanda and Peter Maximoff, or Pietro, I guess. His, his name is Peter. It's Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Um, they are actually mutants. Uh, they are Magneto's children in the comics. Yep. Um, and so we saw Quicksilver in Days of Future Past and X-Men Apocalypse. And I think he's going to be in whatever crap they put out uh, at the end of this year. Whatever the stupid <laughs> movie's going to be. Dark Phoenix? Um, well, that's right. That's what it is. That's right. They get to murder them. They get to get, they get, to get the Dark Phoenix saga wrong again. Thanks, Fox. Anyway, um, so there's this right-sharing thing where they were allowed to be both in Avengers and X-Men at the same time. And Marvel kind of took him and killed him off. Like, is that why easily. he gets killed off? So that um, they can still use him in X-Men? No, because they could have used him anyway, but they're just like, we don't even need him. We've got so many cool characters, we don't even need him. He's so guy. much more interesting in X-Men anyway. Well, his powers he's are fine. way cooler. He's way yeah. he's super he's super OP in the X-Men movies anyway. Yeah. And again, so, 80s jams like propelling I don't I don't understand to... how Time in a Bottle plays at the same speed while he's running, <laughs> but it just does. <laughs> Anyway, it's a great scene, though. I absolutely adore that scene. I, I didn't really like X-Men Days of Future Past, but that scene is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, uh, so these these two twins go out into the battlefield to help fight the Avengers, uh, but they break in. Tony Stark finds the scepter, and he's, he goes to grab the scepter, and there's Scarlet Witch right behind him, and she's able to manipulate his fears so that he sees everything that he fears the most. Um, and so... 
she allows him to take the scepter because she knows what he's going to create and it's going to destroy him. Uh, and so uh, Tony's fear, he sees this vision of the Chitauri uh, who invaded Earth, invading Earth again, and all the Avengers, all of his friends are dead, and there's and Captain America even wakes up, he's like, you could have saved us, and then blah, and dies. <laughs> and so we see that Tony's greatest fear is that he's not doing enough to try to save the world when we find out that he does too much and creates too many villains. So thanks a lot, Tony. Um, Good job. So we get to see the Iron Legion make an appearance back from Iron Man 3, uh, which is all the Iron, the autonomous Iron Man suits. Uh, they go and help protect the people of Sokovia, this Eastern European nation where Strucker is hiding out. Uh, so during the battle, the people are getting shot at, so he deploys the Iron Legion to try to save them. Um, and so then they're, everybody returns back to Avengers Tower in New York with Loki's scepter, Hydra having been finally defeated. Hooray, no more Hydra. Um, I say that because I was watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time and like every episode was like we have to fight Hydra we have to fight Hydra <laughs> I was so freaking sick of Hydra at that point that I was glad that they were finally getting rid of him good thing that it happens early in this movie too instead of making a whole plot point but I'm, like, um, but I'm pretty plot. sure that like Hydra kept continuing even after because Powers Booth was on the uh, World Security Council in the first Avengers but then mm-hmm. in Captain America Winter Soldier he's not Turns out he was Hydra, but like too extreme for Hydra, so he got kicked off the World Security Council, and then he becomes head of Hydra, and he stars in a bunch of episodes in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I was like, oh, Powers Booth, yay! <laughs> um, so I was excited to see him. Anyway, um, so there, uh, Tony starts to study Loki's scepter before Thor takes it back to Asgard, um, and he finds that this the gem that's powering... Uh, Loki's scepter is very close to artificial intelligence so he decides uh, there's an old shield program called Ultron which was a world defense program basically um, like a, an AI that was designed to kind of protect the world from any external threats and he wants to apply it to the Iron Legion program so that basically there's a bunch of robots who are there to protect the world so that way the Avengers don't have to avenge anything anymore um, so he goes to do that and it's not working, and eventually uh, he goes to a party to kind of celebrate, ooh, Hydra's gone, and as he does so, turns out that uh, they finally cracked the code, and James Spaderbot is here. And Yay! James Spader <laughs> plays Ultron, and uh, Jarvis, who was voiced by Paul Bettany, is kind of trying to make sure everything goes smoothly, uh, but Ultron lashes out and ostensibly kills Jarvis, for now. <laughs> um, You're sensing a theme. You say, yes, there's <laughs> Dear a theme. listeners. Um, so Ultron kills Jarvis and puts himself into the Iron Legion robots uh, that Tony Stark just got hanging around. And they come up and attack the Avengers. And Tony said that the, that the goal of Ultron was world peace. Um, peace in our time is what he says. So Ultron decides that he spends three minutes on the internet and decides that humanity is what's wrong with the world, and he's right. That's that's honestly, I saw a tweet that was like the most realistic part of Age of Ultron is when Ultron goes on the internet for three minutes and decides that humanity sucks and needs to be destroyed. Um, So he decides to take out the Avengers and also all humanity because he's like, you guys are all messed up, you guys are all bad. Um, So the the Legionnaire escapes, takes Loki's scepter with him, and they fly off to Sokovia and begins manufacturing a whole bunch of robots. Um, and 
uh, Ultron scrubbed himself out of the internet. He's taken all the secrets with him. And so the Avengers are like, ah, crap. What do, oh, boy. We're in trouble here. <laughs> and so um, they start going through some files. And they find out that uh, Ultron is going to meet with Ulysses Claw, played by Andy Serkis. Um, who can never just be a normal person ever. <laughs> um, but he's playing Ulysses Claw, who is an arms dealer who has a bunch of vibranium from a place called Wakanda, uh, mm. which I'm sure will be important later, maybe. Um, but Ultron goes to get this vibranium, um, and he's met by the Avengers, but not before Ultron's able to get all the vibranium and take it with him. And they assume, the Avengers assume that Ultron's going to coat himself in vibranium and become like an indestructible robot. Um, But that's not quite what his plan is. Um, When the Maximov show up, the two twins, and they mind control all of the Avengers except for Hawkeye. Because I guess Hawkeye had to do something good. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Hey. No. Yeah, (laughs) Hawkeye alone. No. He sucks. I love him. (laughs) Anyway, anyway uh, so what happens is everybody's shown their greatest fears. Um, Thor's greatest fear is that Asgard is completely destroyed and it's his fault. Um, Steve sees all of his, like, he, he finally gets to dance with Peggy Carter, but then everybody's gone and all of his friends and everybody that's at a party is dead and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Black Widow sees her training to become a Black Widow and kind of all the horrible stuff she had to go through. And we don't know what what Bruce Banner sees, but he hulks the heck out and uh, starts attacking the city um, in Africa. Uh, Johannesburg. Is that where it is? It's in Joburg? Yeah. Apparently. Huh. <laughs> I didn't think it was... Uh, that's, what the, that's what the Marvel Wikia says, so... Really? Yep. I thought it was off the coast of Western Africa. I just watched it, but I, I, I must so have missed too. the thing. I thought so, too. Anyway, so the Hulk's rampaging, and so Tony Stark calls on Veronica, which I think is funny, because mm-hmm. Hulk dated somebody, Betty, mm-hmm. and then the Hulkbuster's name is Veronica. And, and, yeah. But it's a, it's a special anti-Hulk suit that Bruce Banner and Tony Stark both developed, and it's this huge thing that's like the size of the Hulk, and it's got a bunch of different defensive mechanisms to try to take him down. Really cool scene, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I just I just saw Pacific Rim Uprising, and so some of the stuff from Pacific Rim kind of reminded me of what was going on in Ultron mm-hmm. uh, with the Hulkbuster armor. Uh, but Hulk like smashes up a whole bunch of stuff. The team is down except for Hawkeye, who shocks Scarlet Witch in the face with an electric arrow. He's like, I've already been mind controlled, and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Which somehow makes him immune to mind control or something. I don't know. No, he just saw her coming. No, he just sucks. <laughs> But Hawkeye, um, so <laughs> so they manage to like subdue the Hulk and they fly away. But there, but there's rumors that they want the Hulk arrested. The Avengers, like they've smashed up this whole place, and so they're kind of they're on the outs right now. So they go to Lilo for a little bit, and Hawkeye takes him to a safe house where there's Mrs. Hawkeye and a bunch of little Hawklets running around. <laughs> And, and they're like, oh, he has a family. I guess he doesn't suck as much now, I guess. I don't know. Um, You're right. He doesn't. <laughs> he never did. He's the only one that has like a stable life outside of <laughs> the whole Avengers thing. <laughs> so Linda Cardellini, who plays his wife, is actually going to be in Infinity War. Oh. So we're getting a reprise of, 
of the Hocklets, I assume, as well. Um, but they, they hide out there for a little bit, but they're kind of licking their wounds. Um, we start to see some of the Civil War kind of seeds being planted. There's a great scene where Tony and Cap are chopping wood and discussing like the uh, discussing Ultron, and then Captain America gets so mad that he tears a log in half with his bare hands. And I don't know if you're Tony Stark, I don't know how you'd be like, you know what, I'm done with this, bye, I'm going to go away now. I'm going to hide with my fragile masculinity somewhere upstairs. Um, but as they're hiding out, Nick Fury shows up and is like, hey, you got to get yourself together because you're being real, you're being real dummy heads. And so um, Nick Fury kind of helps them get back up on their feet. And uh, they realize that um, Ultron is trying to evolve, not necessarily destroy everything. So there's a scientist who helped them in the beginning. Hawkeye gets shot because of course he does. He's the only Avenger to get injured and require medical help from somebody else. <laughs> but in the while they were fighting the Hydra base, Hawkeye was shot and uh, he was taken to this doctor named Helen Cho who uh, helped repair his, his gunshot wound with like this synthetic material. And she has a restoration cradle which would be able to generate new tissue altogether. So Ultron has taken the vibranium to this restoration uh, chamber and mind-controlled Dr. Cho with, the, with Loki's scepter to create something new. And so he smashes the... Ultron smashes the gem and turns out there's the mind gem, an infinity stone, and he's going to fuse that with the vibranium and the restoration chamber to create a new type of life that would be able to actually like carry on uh, Ultron's vision for what, a perfect, for what perfection should be. Um, the this whole time they've been worried that Ultron would get access to the nuclear codes in order to destroy humanity, uh, but it turns out there was something that was helping them, that was helping kind of keep the nuclear codes away from uh, away from Ultron, and we find out that it's Jarvis, uh, who has been like hiding inside of Ultron's programming this whole time, preventing him from getting the nuclear codes. Um, so Tony Stark decides that what he wants to do is put Jarvis into the restoration chamber. Um, oh, I just realized, yeah, they fight in South Korea. I meant, I forgot to mention this. They fight in South Korea. Yeah, and the twins turn on. The twin. So the twin. Wanda reads the mind of this new being and sees that Ultron plans to destroy the world, and so they turn on Ultron and decide to help the Avengers, um, and the Avengers attack. And Ultron goes to leave with the Restoration Cradle. They manage to steal the Restoration Cradle, but Black Widow is caught at the um, and captured and taken back to Sokovia by Ultron bots. And Tony has the Restoration Cradle and decides to finish what Ultron was working on, but put Jarvis in, in there instead of Ultron. And uh, Bruce Banner's like, this is stupid, you're doing it again. And he's right, because he is doing it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they decide to do it. Captain America shows up to be like, hey, don't do that. Um, want, Scar- the Scarlet Witch here is right. You're a big dummy, Tony Stark. And you're going to kill us all. So they have, a, they have a little scuffle. Thor shows back up after he leaves to go kind of figure out what's going on. He saw in his vision like the destruction of Asgard. So he, it's so worthless talking about what he actually does. He goes and gets in a jacuzzi with, St- mm-hmm. with Stellan Skarsgård. Or as I call him, <laughs> Stellar Skateboard. Um, and they uh, anyhow he comes back and 
kind of shocks the tank so that way there's power and kind of creates the Vision, who pops out, big naked Paul Bettany man with an infinity stone in his forehead. And uh, he's not Jarvis, he's not Ultron, he's the Vision. And he has this infinity stone, uh, which Thor now knows about. He says it's, the, it's one of four that have kind of been showing up recently. And those four are the Tesseract, the Aether from Thor the Dark Thor, um, the Power Stone from Guardians of the Galaxy, and now this Mind Gem uh, from the first Avengers. And so uh, Vision is like, I don't know, I don't think there's any way for you to trust me, but we gotta go. And he picks up Thor's hammer, which nobody but <laughs> Thor was able to do. And so they're all, okay, we'll follow through. <laughs> They go to Sokovia, where um, Ultron is planning to... Well, he's going to set his plan into motion. They're not sure what it is, but they know that it's going to happen there. And so they get there. They they start to evacuate all the civilians, because this is after Man of Steel. And everybody was (laughs) complaining about civilians. So they decide to evacuate the civilians. Um, And as they're doing so, it turns out Ultron wants to turn Sokovia into a meteor raise it up into the atmosphere and then drop it down to wipe out the earth just like the dinosaurs so he starts to do that while there's still civilians hanging out in sokovia so the avengers start fighting off ultron bots and saving civilians at the same time again because this is after man of steel so they had to go out of their way to talk about civilian casualties (laughs) thanks a lot Zack snyder you son of a bitch But you guys don't swear. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Now I have to bleep that out. I know it's sorry. Um... Bruce Banner goes to rescue uh, Natasha um, while the city's starting to take off, and she and uh, they have fallen in love somehow. Yeah. Sorry that I forgot about it, but so did the screenwriters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but they're apparently in love, and Black Widow wants Bruce Banner to run away with her and like hide out somewhere. So he's like, "Yeah, let's do mm-hmm. it." And she's like, "No, nope, we need to save the city." So she pushes him into a hole to get the Hulk to come out. and So then they both go to help the Avengers fight and stuff. Um, but they're worried because they're like, this thing is going up into the sky. It's going to kill everybody. So we need, you know, we need a way to stop it. But they can't because it will destroy the city. Um, but then Nick Fury shows up with a mothballed helicarrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, start taking, they take, start taking civilians off of the meteor and onto the... Helicarrier to save them, so that way there won't be civilian casualties. Again, thank you very much, Zack Snyder. Um, <laughs> and during the fight, they have to protect this this kind of big switch. I don't know, it's very video gamey. Like They have to defend an Ultron bot from turning it on, otherwise it'll drop the city out of the sky and uh, kill everybody. So they're evacuating the civilians. Tony Stark's come up with a plan to obliterate the island that's floating in the sky. Um, but all the civilians have to be off of it. So uh, they're doing that. Uh, Vision has locked Ultron out of the internet, so they have to destroy all the Ultron bots, and then Ultron's finally gone forever. Um, and so they're punching for a bit. There's a big fight scene. There's a not-as-cool uh, kind of scene. I think we talked about in our first, in the Phase 1 thing how... There's a shot that goes from hero to hero, kind of showing how they're fighting the Chitari. They do that again in this one, and it's not mm-hmm. as cool, because again, it's just not the same. It's not as fun. Um, but as they're evacuating the civilians, Hawkeye sees a little boy who's been left out by his mother, by his terrible, terrible mother, um, back on the... 
back on the island. So he runs out there to save him and get him on because the helm. Because he's the true hero. He goes to put it. No, he's not. Quicksilver's a true hero because he goes to uh, he he goes to save the kid, and Ultron is now flying a Quinjet, and he goes to shoot Hawkeye and this kid, and Quicksilver runs in front of the bullets. And takes, and takes them all to oh. save Hawkeye. No, but so Quicksilver winds up dying. Scarlet Witch <laughs> feels it and explodes a bunch of Ultron bots. Yep. Um, She's so cool. She is cool. And then um, uh, Hawkeye gets on the boat and he's he's all sad because they've been ribbing each other this whole time. He and Quicksilver, the good old good old ribby rib. My favorite part of that is like Quicksilver gives him a hard time for being old, and then he's and then he pulls out his bow and arrow, and he's like, "No one would know." And I'm like, "Hawkeye, you are literally the only person in the century to use a bow and arrow. Everybody would know." There's literally they'll be like, "Oh, that guy was killed by a bow and arrow." Well, there's, I mean, it's him, right? There's only one guy who uses a bow and arrow. Anyhow, they they uh, they save the civilians. Um, then they uh, the. Rock starts to plummet down. Thor and uh, Tony Stark blow up the island, and everybody's saved. Even Scarlet Witch, who gets saved by the Vision, because uh, she wants to jump his robot bones. And uh, <laughs> um, anyway, they 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 save the day. Um, they and nobody's. Well, I mean, there's still people that are killed because there's a lot of destruction going on. And it's kind of important for Civil War that there's a couple people killed. Um, so then there's a, new, there's a new Avengers base. Thor goes off to find out about Infinity Stones. Uh, Tony Stark decides to stop being an Avenger for now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then Captain America is leading a new team of Avengers who, is, who uh, include Captain America, Black Widow, Falcon, War Machine, Scarlet Witch, and the Vision. Yep. And uh, I think that's it. I think that's all for like the yeah, Thanos at the end saying, "Oh, Thanos. I'm just gonna get these stones myself." Yeah, Josh Brolin saying he's just gonna do it himself, which he should have done all ages ago. <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, that brings us to the last one, Ant Man. I'm gonna Ooh. try to wrap it up pretty quick. Um, so this movie starts off in 1989. Um, we see Hank Pym played by uh, what's his Michael name? Douglas. That's the one, Michael <laughs> Douglas. Um, and he is apparently one of the founding members of S.H.I.E.L.D., Hank Pym, um, and, uh, but he's gotten kind of, like, out of control, and so he's all mad, and there's an argument, um, but yeah, so basically, I guess that S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to, Hank Pym has come up with this Ant-Man shrinking technology, um, which he thinks is very dangerous, and he's trying to suppress it, and S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to replicate it, so he gets all mad. He leaves S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and then we jump to the present. So Pym has a daughter, Hope Van Dyne, and um, a protege, Darren Cross, and they force him out of his own company, Pym Technologies. Um, and they are working on basically an advanced shrinking suit called the Yellow Jacket, which is based on Pym's original suit, the Ant-Man. Um so then we cut to Scott Lang, played by the marvelous Paul Rudd. Ooh, marvelous. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a couple months after Sokovia. Scott Lang, has um, he's been released from prison. Um, he served three years there because he burglarized his former employer. Basically, he found out that they were doing some shady stuff and hacked their systems and robbed them as 
like retaliation. So he's kind of like a Robin Hood type figure. Well, yeah, he uh, he found out that they were uh, shady dealing and stuff, mm-hmm. and so he um, he was fired when he brought it up, and mm-hmm. so then he burglared burgled mm-hmm. his boss's. Uh, yeah, he burgled yeah. he burgled his boss and gave the money to the employees. Yep, cool. So and that's why he's been in prison. So um, he gets out and he's. He has a daughter and an ex-wife who is now engaged to a police officer named Jim Paxton. Um, but his wife isn't letting him see his kid because she feels like until he gets like a stable job and is paying child support and kind of has his life back together that she like she doesn't want the daughter like hanging around with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets a job at Baskin Robbins and gets fired because they find out about his criminal record. Baskin Robbins always finds out. Baskin Robbins always (laughs) finds out. Um, So he's feeling really depressed. Um, It's been really hard for him to find work and he's like doing the best that he can. Um, In the meantime, he's gotten together with uh, his former cellmate, Luis, played by Michael Pena. His best. uh, (laughs) The best. I love it. He is the best. Um, So Michael Pena is uh, basically he's trying to he's doing like a job like a burglary and he's trying to get scott in on it and he keeps saying no 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 but then he gets fired from baskin robbins and he feels desperate so he agrees to do it um so basically what the plan is is they're going to break into this old man's house and they're like yeah he's got all of like this huge safe downstairs and it's going to have tons of stuff in it so he breaks in um and he finds basically what he refers to as an old motorcycle suit um so he grabs it and he leaves um, and he's like, oh, man, that so wasn't worth it. But he decides to play with it. So he puts it on, and he presses a button on the glove, and he shrinks down to the size of an insect, and he's, like, terrified and running around and trying to get out, and he manages eventually to get himself back up to his regular size. Um, but he's totally freaked out by it, so he decides he's going to break back into the house and put the suit back. Um, but he gets caught um, and arrested. So then Hank Pym... Um, whose house this was, obviously. Um, Hank Pym manages to... He poses a lawyer and goes to see Scott in, in jail um, and smuggles him the Ant-Man, Ant-Man suit. So Scott puts on the suit and escapes with the help of a bunch of ants. Um, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then he meets back up with Hank Pym and he realizes that this whole thing was a setup. Um, Basically, Hank Pym is trying to steal the yellow jacket suit from Cross. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, he wants Scott Lang to be the new Ant Man and actually like do it because he's got a criminal record. And if he gets caught, then it's not as damaging. Um, in the meantime, we find out that Hope, his daughter, is actually working with him, even though they have a strained relationship. Um, she's working with him because she recognizes that the yellow jacket suit is dangerous. Um, so, but she complains because she feels like she she should be the one wearing the suit and doing the job. And um, and Michael Douglas keeps saying, no, I don't want to risk you, um, etc. So they train Scott Lang on how to use the suit. Um, they need to get something that belongs to Hank Pym but was seized by S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and it's being stored at one of Stark's, like, warehouses. Um 
Cinco and they're just like, oh, it's a it's a warehouse that's not going to be very heavily guarded. But what they don't know is that that particular warehouse is now the new Avengers facility. So Scott goes to try to break in and get what he needs. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, he's confronted by Falcon and they fight. Um, and he manages to get away with what, with the thing that they were going after. Um, so then... Um, Hope and Hank Pym have kind of a confrontation because her mother has died and she doesn't know what happened. And so he confesses that basically when he was the Ant-Man, he had um, a counterpart, which is the Wasp, who was her mother. And they were trying to stop a Russian nuclear launch missile. And in order to do that, she went subatomic. So basically she used her regulator to shrink even further. But there comes a certain point where you can't control like you keep shrinking and you go into the subatomic quantum realm. Um, and so in order to stop this bomb, she had to go subatomic and she like the assumption is that she's dead. Um, so he, he confesses that the whole reason he doesn't want hope to be wearing the Ant-Man suit is because he doesn't want the same thing to happen to her. Um, so cross in the meantime, he has perfected the yellow jacket suit and he invites Hank Pym to the unveiling and he has like a whole, entourage of like potential buyers who we find out are hydra um so scott lang he has um recruited uh louise michael pena to um help him out and they like plant some explosives and sabotage all the servers so that way they can hack into the security around the yellow jacket suit so he busts in there but cross was expecting him and catches him and so he manages to sell both um the ant-man and the yellow jacket suit to Hydra. Um, Scott manages to break free. Uh, they fight for a bit. Um, one of the Hydra agents grabs the formula for the yellow jacket suit and um, escapes. Um, and then a whole bunch of the explosives, <coughs> um, a whole bunch of the explosives that they've planted detonate and they implode the building into the quantum realm. Um, but they have evacuated everybody, so. I don't think anybody dies. Um, <laughs> uh, so then Cross is all mad. So and he's been um, he's been experimenting with the suit for a while. And what we've learned is that Pym particles, which is the I don't know the MacGuffin the, that lets you the shrink. sciencey bit, yeah, mm -hmm. that lets you shrink. Um, they kind of make you crazy. So Cross is going nuts. Um, so he puts on the yellow jacket suit. He and Scott Lang are both like shrunken and fighting and they kind of play around with like getting big and getting small and um so he winds up uh so scott winds up trapping cross in a bug zapper um but then before you can sabotage the guy's suit um his ex-wife's fiance the cop tasers him and like basically he's putting him under arrest um, Cross manages to escape, and he's holding Scott's daughter hostage. Um, so Paxton winds up releasing Scott, and he goes up to his daughter's room and is fighting. Um, there's some really funny stuff in there where they're, like, both miniature, and it's, like, this high-speed high train fight, but it's actually just, like, a, a little electrical Thomas the Tank Engine that's going around on his daughter's table. My, um, I, like, I like the part where they're on the briefcase, and yep. he yells, I will disintegrate you, and so they play Disintegration by the Cure. Like, Siri yep. hears that and plays Disintegration by the Cure, yep. which I think is pretty great. Yep. Um, 
But anyway, so they uh, also um, Scott is. Ex- I guess he's got these little like vials that he can put into his regulator belt that um, can make things big as well. So he manages to make Thomas the tank engine super big and it crashes through the wall of his daughter's bedroom. Um, But so basically he figures out that the only way that he can take down Yellow Jacket is to go subatomic and sabotage Cross's suit. So he manages to do this. Cross implodes. Um, Scott, in the meantime, he's in the quantum realm and it's very like trippy. Um... But he puts one of the, like, vials with the enlarging stuff into his regular belt, and he manages to, manages to return to his normal size, but he doesn't remember anything about the quantum realm. But um, this gives Hank Pym reason to believe that it's possible his wife didn't actually die. Um, so Paxton is really grateful that Scott saved his daughter, so he lets him go, basically, um, and gets him out of it. Um... And then we, at the end of the movie, we basically find out that um, Falcon is looking for Scott, um, possibly to recruit him to the Avengers. Um, and then the post credit scene, we have um, Hank Pym gives his daughter Hope the Wasp suit, um, which is setting us up for Ant-Man and the Wasp coming out this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Captain America and Falcon have found Bucky Barnes, his like, metal arm is trapped in like a vice. And they're not able to contact Tony Stark because of the Accords. And Wilson says he knows a guy, which basically is Ant-Man. So mm-hmm. that's the end. Yay, phase so, two. So, so Ant-Man, I really, <coughs> I really like Ant-Man. But the problem with Ant-Man is, and you can see this, it's a Frankenstein project. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel actually worked with Edgar Wright before the MCU was even a thing. So like Edgar Wright was working on an Ant-Man script back in like 2006. So well before Iron, the first Iron Man came out, well before they were doing all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they were working with Edgar Wright this whole time. But then due to creative differences, like the inclusion of the Avengers and kind of all the wedging it into the uh, MCU, MCU uh, caused Marvel and Edgar Wright to have a falling out. So I am crushed that we didn't get an Edgar Wright Ant-Man movie. But if you didn't know that, it's mm-hmm. a perfectly serviceable movie. Yeah. But, and you can definitely see Edgar Wright's fingerprints all over it, like that fight scene where the train, mm-hmm. you know, hits Yellow Jacket and falls over. It looks big and epic, but it's, you know, a little Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, the disintegration scene and all that kind of stuff. Like, Edgar Wright's fingerprints are all over the movie, but it was it was finished by a director called Peyton, named Peyton Reed, and he's mm-hmm. actually going to be doing Ant-Man and the Wasp coming out this summer. Yep. So... Um, we'll see what he can actually do with like his own whole movie, but I'm so sad that we didn't get an Edgar Wright. Maybe we will in the future. Yeah, yeah. but maybe. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's it for this episode. Um, sorry, it went a little bit long, but you know that's <laughs> we're trying to cram six movies in here. Um, but yeah, so join us next time when we will be discussing. What are we discussing, Shannon? I think it's the Beatles. <laughs> yes. We keep you are correct. It is the yeah. Beatles next week with Carla. Yay. Yay. It's so fun. Yep. Cool. Well, join us then. Bye.